This is episode 49 of Behind the Yellow Line. Jeremy's here. Randall J. Sanders is here. I'm Ronan. We have got some Cubs baseball to get to this evening. Um, some things on the Cubs front to talk on. Some Hall of Fame news we want to shed light on. Jeremy's got some fun here in the holiday spirit as we wrap up 2021. He's got some gifts he wants to give to the Chicago Cubs. We'll see what he's getting on with that. Um, I want to have a little fun with war later on in the show. I've got a question for you two gentlemen, and we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, still pretty quiet across baseball right now. We're a couple weeks into the lockout. Nothing's really going to happen until next year. But um, some Cubs news here, gentlemen, and that's that uh, Carlos Correa, there's some mutual interest. News continues to trickle out. The Cubs apparently very much in on the all-star shortstop. Here's the latest of what we're hearing. Cubs are in on Correa. Correa is interested in the Cubs. Cubs may be reluctant for a 10th year. Jeremy, we're looking at a contract that's easily going to be over $300 million. Is the 10th year going to be the thing that holds this up? Well, I think the Cubs might be reluctant than more, more than just that. I, I think it's, I, I feel like, um, I mean, it could be the thing that holds up, but I feel like the Cubs are coming at this from a, like, we want to, we'd be willing to pay you a, a very high average uh, annual value salary, but not over a lot of time, which to be honest, I'm not exactly um, sure why they're so committed to that. Cause to me, if you could lock up Carlos Correa and get it done for 10 years, I mean, he's 27 years old, like, you know, seven, six, seven of those years are going to be in his prime. That's a pretty good payment. So I, I would, I would do it, but like, I don't know. I can see the Cubs offering him something like five years, like five years, $200 million, something crazy like that. And seeing if that's something he would want, that's 40 million a year. That would be the highest paid shortstop in the league by a good amount um, in terms of an average value. And, and he would be, you know, 32 years old and another shot at free agency, a decent amount, a decent shot for agency. So I could, I could see like, that's where the Cubs are coming from. And it's interesting, you know, cause this was a local report. This was from Bruce Levine. So like, I don't think he would put something out there. Not that I'm, you know, beholden to Bruce and his sources. But I, I don't, if, if there was an interest in Carlos Correa, I think Bruce would be pretty adamant being like, they're not, this is not something they're interested in. Jeremy, you and I say, well, this is from Bruce Levine. I think in very different, uh, very different viewpoints, very different perspectives. Uh, you know, I would love Correa. I'm on the record as saying I would love Correa to come play for the Cubs. I don't think that 10th year is going to be the deal breaker. I think if the two sides are close enough, that the only sticking point is that 10th year. I think they'll probably get something done. Maybe it's a shorter years, higher average annual value contract, like Jeremy said. My thing here is none of this is particularly surprising, honestly. You know, we the, the Cubs coming off of 2006, one of the worst seasons in recent memory for any of us, they still managed to go out and sign the marquee free agent that year in Alfonso Soriano and a lot of other complimentary pieces. The free agents are always going to have interest in the Cubs. People love playing in Chicago. They love playing at Wrigley. The difference is that when the team has not been very good, you're, you're going to have to pay more to bring them in. Uh, so it, this is honestly is not that surprising to me. I'm not saying Levine is lying or anything like that, but it does seem to me a little bit like he's just kind of connecting the dots here that we know the Cubs are interested in a shortstop. They have money to spend. We know Correa does not have any necessary compunctions about playing for the Cubs, but the Cubs don't necessarily want to go to 10 years. So I'm not saying he's lying, but it wouldn't surprise me if this wasn't anything new, but kind of just him connecting the dots three related, but not necessarily new elements, but well, he did report year, like that. They were in contact before December 1st and that right. they were talking and, to each well, other. Okay. By definition, that wouldn't be new. Cause that'd be almost three weeks old at this point. Okay. Um, 
So, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying I disbelieve him necessarily. I'm sure this comes from somewhere, but it wouldn't surprise me if this isn't necessarily new. It's just kind of things that are true, not necessarily happening recently, which, of course, it can't happen recently. But if the 10th year is what it's going to take, get it done. Get it done. Imagine imagine the, the vitriol on this podcast if we find out in two months or whatever that they were in on him, but they weren't willing to go that 10th year and he ends up going somewhere else. Just imagine. So I think get it done if that 10th year is the issue, well, get it done. I think it's like they're not willing to go that sixth year or seventh year. I don't think this is a question between like nine or 10 years or whatever, you know, because I, I don't think they're willing to go a long term contract like that. So, um, I, I mean, maybe they will, but I don't think that, like that's the question. I think I think it, it's like, is is he going to want to take a contract like the Like I mentioned before, the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Dodgers did this to Bryce Harper. They offered him like some insane uh, value number to come play for the Dodgers. And he decided he'd rather go 13 years, 300 plus million to Philly. But like the Cubs are probably thinking the same thing. Like, a, like I said, like a five year, six year contract. So I don't really see this as like a question of like, well, is it the 10th year? It's 10 years in general. <laughs> like that's way too much. I have for the Cubs. It seems like Jed. So like seven, eight, nine years. That's, I don't think they're even going that far. Well, that's, so that's, that's a good question. We'll see how it plays out. I would like Hooray on this team. I would think, I think that would, for all the interest we generated when Stroman signed out of nowhere, I think Correa signing would be that times 10 or 20 fold. So um, I'd like it just to, just to be excited about this team again. It felt good to be excited about this team when the news of Stroman dropped. And again, I think Correa would be that times a, a very high number. So get it done for us, Jed. That's your present to us is, is getting it done. Yeah, and Ronan, uh, you know, how, what, where are you on this stance of how are you taking this report by Bruce? Yeah, well, I, I just think it brings up the question of is this the direction things are going in baseball where guys sign bigger annual deals but shorter? We're not going to see the 8, 9, 10-year contracts unless it's a guy like Tatis who's 22 or 21 and they're that young. Um, feels like that's the direction things are going. Bauer did that last year with the Dodgers. Took a ton of money up front for a shorter contract than where he could have gotten elsewhere. Now things have changed for him, yeah. but I, I could see the Cubs going that way. I, I, I'm just skeptical of the Cubs getting to 10 years for, for even someone like Correa. Maybe somebody in the system that they think is going to be a superstar player and they get him when he's 22 for 10 years. But uh, I don't know that that's going to be coming here for Correa. And um, I'll just see kind of how aggressive the Cubs are. I will say this, if there's any team in a position to max out on that, it would be the Cubs. So they've got so much money to work with. Apparently they're trying to compete now for next season. Going out and getting Stroman was the most recent evidence we have of that. So this is going to be worth keeping an eye on. And the annoying thing is it's not going to get resolved anytime soon. No. It's just sort of dangling above us here as we head into the new year. Honestly, as it's said, really cruel. Oh. It's really cruel of Levine to give us this on December 22nd, knowing that nothing's going to be resolved for another three weeks to a month. Like this is, this is a tiny crumb. And we know that no more food is coming for goodness knows how long. So it's honestly really cruel of Bruce. I would have sat on this for another two months. Well, you got to stir it up, Randall. You know, you know, you like your Bob Marley, you stir it up. But I would also point out that Carlos Correa was a trolling. I don't know about trolling. Maybe he was serious. Uh, Cubs fans a little bit on the Twitters wishing them a happy holidays. I mean, the, uh, at the only team he wished happy holidays to is the Cub fans uh, when they were caroling to bring Carlos Correa and I mean, but I would obviously I would do it. I would go 10 years like I, I think, you know, Carlos Correa, you get him for six, seven years. Basically, he's 27 years old. As I said, he's your prime. Even if you're not competing next year. OK, then you have 29 year old Carlos Correa. Like I would lock that down. Um, So 
that's I would do it, but it seems like Jed is in the way because remember Marcus Stroman got three years with an opt out, so it's really only two years guaranteed, and everybody assumed Marcus Stroman get like a five year contract, like uh, um, Rob Ray, Robbie Ray or Kevin Gossman, and so they went low on him in terms of years with a bigger average annual value. So it seems like that's what the Cubs are trying to do. Do either of you have any hesitancy with Correa's health? his inability to play a full season. Is that something that weighs him? You're talking about maybe a 10-year deal for yeah. a guy. He's not a guy that's going to go out and play 150 games a season. I don't really, because the Cubs obviously need talent, and I want them to do something, and they need something. Um, I was actually looking at Correa, you know, his numbers before this, and, like, last year he had a monster year. But the two years – I mean, the three years before that, he was kind of like a very good shortstop, but not a great shortstop great shortstop and the years before that he was a great shortstop so like i don't think you can go out and expect last year i think you have to expect a very good shortstop probably an all-star caliber shortstop but not maybe not an mvp level player like he was last year and but i would still be willing to pay for that yeah that's the thing about free agents is you can't uh it's not you know insurance it's not an insurance commercial you can't tailor the contract to what you need it'd be great if you could say hey you've been injured a whole lot these last couple of years can we knock a 10 million, you know, 10 million off the value of the contract. It doesn't work that way. If you want Correa, you're going to have to pay for him, even if you are weary of his ability to stay on the field. So you're going to have to pay the money to get to, to get what would be the optimal version of the player, even if you're worried that's not quite what you're going to get. And that's the cost of doing business. And it's a cost I hope the Cubs pay. Yeah, I mean, by the nature of free agency, you're, you are always going to be overpaying uh, for the most part because the highest offer is the one that's predominantly probably 95, 99% of the time, the one that's going to win out. And that's the team that values him the most, you know, the player the most. And so they're willing to pay the most. And so whoever's willing to pay the most is overpaying because other teams for the most part are probably coming in less. Well, Jeremy, I can't think of a better segue here in the spirit of the season here, giving things to other people, gifting things to other folks. You had an idea here before the show of, uh, basically a Cubs gift giving. What, what, what idea did you have coming into this? Well, I just had, you know, a little bit, you know, be a little bit of a Santa Claus where I'm coming up on the holidays. I would point out tomorrow's a holiday. It's Eddie Vedder's birthday. Okay. Uh, so I'm taking, you know, got to celebrate that one. What, are you taking the day off? Yeah. Basking? <laughs> it's basking. Um, you know, you know, it's a season of giving, right. And we want to, we want to be able to, you know, it's not about take, taking, it's about giving and, and giving. And I thought maybe, you know, the Cubs, can uh or the players or anybody really can and can use a few gifts and so i came up with a couple for myself uh, um, of things to give out you know uh i mean i was joking around earlier like I, I would like to give you know a few hundred million to the pauper rickett family so they could go out and sign korea but uh for me the for my first gift if i'm going to start off and lead off here i would like to give you know adbert alzale i would like to give him some confidence in this changeup because he's been okay struggling a lot against left-hand pitchers, as we mentioned in the past. And I think his changeup um, is the weapon that he needs to utilize to uh, neutralize uh, lefties, because I don't think he can be a starter if he's not be able to get lefties out. And he didn't really throw it a lot uh, last year. He did throw it, obviously, predominantly against lefties. And lefties struggled against it. They only batted like 143 against his changeup or something. So I want to gift him some confidence uh, in his changeup so that he can go out and he pitched to both sides. And I think he, it's just a pitch. He should throw more. I think he should get away a little bit more from his fastball necessarily. His slider is 
dynamite against right-handed batters. Um, so obviously keep that, but I, I just want him to be more confident in change up, throw it more often. And I think he can uh, succeed more against left-handed batters. Uh, and uh, you want me to go on with more gifts or you guys got a few rant Randall's got a gift. I do. I do have a gift. I would like to gift Nico Horner a full season of health. Yes. Nico, we know has had an interesting path to the major leagues. He was drafted in 2018. We know he came up late in 2019. We know that he obviously 2020 was its own beast. And we know he uh, had a lot of trouble staying on the field in 2021. He was injured collisions, uh, you know, pulling things, running to first base. I'd like to gift him a full 162 game season or close to it on the major league roster. So we can see what we have in Nico Horner. I think this is a player who can still be very useful. We know he's a great defender at second base. We know that at his best, He's probably a pretty good contact bat, probably not a whole lot of power. I know there's some hope that he might grow into some of that extra base power. I think he's probably less of a slugging guy, more of a contact guy. I'd just like to see a full season of him healthy on the field and playing close to every day. So you can see if you have somebody who can be useful to this team going forward. You have a second baseman in the fold already who can really only play second base. Nico is a little more versatile than that. So that's what I'd like to gift Nico is a full year of healthy ribs and healthy hamstrings and healthy everything else you need to stay on the field. And hopefully he's not playing shortstop next year. That's right. right. That's, that's the hope. Yeah. Uh, Ron, do you have any gifts? I will, uh, I, I will get to one here. Keep going. All right, you, I'll go. I, I, but just to keep on the theme, I would like to give the gift to uh, a man who also needs to stay healthy this year um, in uh, David Bodie. And I would like to give him the gift to uh, lift the baseball a little bit because and he's improved a lot over his career uh, more so. But he needs he hits the ball hard, but he needs to stop driving the ball into the ground so much. He, uh, he used to have big ground ball to fly ball numbers and it, it's come down a lot. I mean, so he, he's not as bad as he wants, but I, I would like him to. Uh, more launch angle. Maybe if he could have taken more lessons from Chris Bryant, just to get the ball in the air more, because he can hit the ball hard. And if he would get the ball in the air more, he would do a lot more damage with his bat. And so I, I would like to give uh, David Bodie that gift to uh, to really drive the ball in the air. And and I think that would be a huge help for the Cubs because I feel like he's a guy who could bounce back next year. I'm not going to say he's going to be like an all-star above average level player, but he, I don't think he's going to be as terrible as he was last year. And so if he could get, you know, just drive the ball. I think you'd be a huge help for the Cubs. The, the gift of lift, Jeremy. Yeah, is what you'd the like gift to of give. lift. The gift of lift. Lift that ball, David. Um, Randall, you got one? Yeah, I would like to gift Jason Hayward mm. a, a, a season of consistency is what I'd okay. like to gift him. <laughs> <laughs> I know it could go a lot of different ways with that. He's already I'm gotten being, a lot of gifts. <laughs> That's right. I'm being, I'm being real <laughs> careful here. You know, we don't need to we don't need to go over what Jason's tenure as a Cub has been like, but I feel like a lot of the times when he's gotten himself into a good groove, something has derailed him. I don't remember what season it was specifically. I think it was 20, 2019, where he was in a, a decent spot offensively, and then they acquired Castellanos. Hayward became the everyday center fielder and leadoff guy, and that kind of took him out of that groove. Last year, he had been hitting better. He got hurt. He pulled something that ended his season. It it seems like even in the seasons where he's gotten himself into a good spot, something has happened. He's been moved in the lineup. He's gotten injured and had to be out for an extended period. That's taken him out of that. I'd like to gift him a, a smooth season. I'd like to gift him a season where he's hitting in the same spot where he stays healthy and hopefully he can put together a full season of not ups and downs or he's, he's just kind of level the entire time. So that's what I'd like to give Hayward is a season of consistency. I think okay. Hayward is, I was also 
like thinking about Hayward when I was thinking about Bodie, but I, I think he's kind of a similar guy in terms of, well, one, he would need to drive the ball in the air more, but I, I think he'll have a decent bounce. Like last year was terrible. Probably his worst season since 2016 as a cub. And I'm hoping he has a decent bounce back. And like Bodie, I'm not thinking he's, you know, but if he could put like a 95, 96 uh, OPS plus type deal with his defense, I mean, he's not going to be a good player, but he's not going to be a black hole out there. So I feel like that's something that could be seen and he can do. Well, Randall, I'm thinking about that bucket of consistency. There was a different player I had in mind with that sort of same idea, Ian Happ. What we really need from Ian Happ in 2022 is him to figure it out, not just in March, not just in September, all those months in the middle. We know what he's capable of. He hasn't really done it yet, and he's as important as anybody in that lineup next year. So let me dip some of that consistency from Jay Hay, give it to Ian Happ in the outfield. That's critical to the Cubs winning next season. There's plenty to go around. I ordered in bulk. Amazon had a sale. So Hayward's got plenty. He can gift some himself over to Hap. So there's plenty to go around. He, I mean, if you're really looking at the roster next year, outside of Wilson Contreras, I mean, Ian Hap is pretty much the guy that you have to have the most confidence. I mean, maybe not confidence, is the right word, but he's the one who's, he's like the most uh, proven, I guess, player on the Cubs. I mean, Hayward has been but Hayward obviously has been struggling the last five years or so so it's really Ian Happ so he's got to be a guy like he has to be the guy we expect him to be because he it's him and Contreras really like I mean it's not Schwindel it's not Wisdom those are guys that were you know maybe they'll be more than a flash in the pan last year but that's all we've seen of them so like and Nico we haven't seen much Madrigal we obviously haven't seen much uh, so Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras those two guys have to be the guys that we expect them to be because they're, they're really only yeah. proven hitters in the Cubs lineup as of right now. My idea just in April or so, tell Ian it's August. Don't let him, don't, don't tell him differently. Don't let him figure it out. He'll be fine the entire season. Like in April, it's August. In May, it's August. In June, it's August. The entire season is August for Ian Half. He'll be an MVP level player. Just give him a calendar that just says A1, A2, A3. Exactly. Just every page you pull off says August. Yeah. In April. Any more gifts for the Cubs? You know, I'd like to gift Frank Schwindel a nice apartment in Chicago, a guy who's been in the minor leagues a very long time. I hope he stays on the roster for a full season. I hope he doesn't have to go up and down, back and forth from Chicago to Des Moines. We know he has a family. He's got a wife. He's got a, a little boy uh, that, you know, I don't know that they necessarily stay with Frank throughout the entire season, but I'd like, I'd like Schwindel to be on the roster the entire season. I don't want him necessarily starting every day. Um, especially not for the entire season, but I'd like him to be on the roster the entire season. I think that's good peace of mind for a ball player, especially a guy who's been in the minor leagues most of his career. So that's what I'd like to give him, gift him a nice, a nice little piece of real estate in the city of Chicago for in the, in the name of some peace of mind for him. Well, maybe he should have, uh, you know, they could have had a first baseman transfer. He should have taken up uh, Anthony Rizzo, you know, as that Rizzo that's was right. just moving out last week. Could have just, could have just bought it off of Rizzo easy. Yeah. I'm sure he could afford whatever Rizzo had. I think um, Doug Glanville did that once. I think he actually rented an apartment from a Philadelphia teammate. He discusses that in his book, which is great, by the way. It is Christmas. If anybody needs a stocking stuffer, get yourself a copy of The Game From Where I Stand by Doug Glanville. He discusses his career. Great read. So, yeah, he rented an apartment from a teammate, uh, and he noted that utilities were all rolled into one one monthly monthly payment, which he said was very convenient. So thanks for that detail, Doug. That is very convenient, and it seems like, you know, that might be the future in the minor leagues, right? Just guys just moving into each other's apartments as they move on with the teams holding it. 
Um, for me, I, I mean, I, I think I've discussed this in the past, but I, I would just like to give the Cubs in general. I would just like to give them the Cubs and more power pitching coming in the rotation, because once again, we've discussed it. Wade Miley, Cal Hendricks, Marcus Stroman in general, like the, I just want another I just want one more starter that could just, you know, throw 95, throw 96 hard. It has a wipeout. I mean, I'm kind of describing Edward Alzale right now. So if he can be that guy, hopefully he is that guy has a wipeout slider or, or curveball and could just really rack up the strikeouts. And so, uh, you know, as I said, Albert needs some help with left-handed pitching. I hope his changeup could be that weapon that he can really, so he can actually start in the big leagues because until he can figure that out, it's hard for him to see how he could be a starter in the big leagues. But I just would like somebody to come along some way, somehow, and just get in that rotation and just strike some guys out because we need some strikeouts and, and to put a little less stress on the ball, on the ball and play in the defense. And just, you know, cause anything can happen once the ball's hit and play. So I, I would just, you know, I would like just some power pitching in the rotation. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Kyle Farnsworth. Yeah. Over he is. Hey, Carl wants to come back and just throw hard 99. I'm all for it. Jeremy, do you have any gifts for anybody on the show? Well, I thought about it hard. I, I thought about, you know, some gifts. I thought that, ah, do they deserve gifts? Like, I don't know. I mean, is it, does Randall here deserve a gift? Does Ronan out there in Denver, does he deserve a gift? So I, I just was thinking, you know, just, just for the next year, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep doing this. And I, I hope we're going to keep doing this. I know we want to keep doing this. At least me and Ronan, I assume Randall wants to keep doing this because he's Ronan's not in his head. Um, so I just want to give us the gift of consistency and us the gift of, you know, really just, just making it through this, this winter when there's no Cubs baseball, no baseball at all right now in December. And so, you know, getting back out and I, I think we're going to have a good year next year. And so I think that we'll all be together at some point. I hope so next year and to really get to a baseball game, because I, I'm not confident have, if we've been to once the last time we've been all three of us to a baseball game was in Denver, like in 2019. Denver. So yeah, that'll, that'll so like, that's years. my gift for us next year is I think we should all get to a baseball game together, you know, and then we got a pot about it. That's right. Maybe we'll pod, record some pod, content for the pod, pod the right from the baseball game. Three exactly. Of us just speaking into our phones up there in the upper deck. So well, that's got some old archive we audio do. footage from games way back in the day. So we could always supplement it with that. The history of this pod goes back pretty far. Those were like, you know, the prototype type pods. Well, we called it behind the yellow line for a reason. You could argue that's where this podcast started is literally behind the yellow line, standing there in standing room on the concourse at Wrigley. Rona, do you think uh, we're deserving of some gifts? Or are we I got a gift here? for You Randall. got a couple of gifts? Jeremy, yeah, you're not deserving it. of gifts. Oh, of course Absolutely not. not. No, of course not. Randall. Randall's deserving of all the gifts. And uh, something I've been thinking about, Jeremy, and I'm a little bit emotional about this, to be fully transparent with you. We are on the cusp of history. In 10 days, when we get into New Year's, we will be in the year of the Randall, 2022. That number 22, the only time in our lives we're going to get to experience a 22. So my gift to Randall in his year, the gift of adventure. The problem with Randall is I'll suggest things. I'll encourage things. I'll promote things. He shakes his head. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. So in 2022, this is a year that the stars and the planets and the moons have all aligned for you, Randall. Let this be the year of the adventurous Randall. 
That's what I want to see in 2022. And it's a good day to give that gift because it, as we're recording this, it's 1222. I suppose right. it is. It is It it's is a- the day of the 22nd. Well, Ronan, that's a very thoughtful gift. I appreciate your gift of adventure for the year 2022. Yeah. May, may, may we live in a world that is safe enough again to adventure safely because at the moment that's that's a little dicey. It's swinging from the vines, running from the boulders. That's right. The first Indiana Jones. The that's first right. Take- edible for Randall. That's something I'd like to see in the year of 22. <laughs> well, that's well, up to Randall. Well, J- yeah, Jeremy, the, the adventure of swapping that idol out on the pedestal while putting the uh, the little burlap sack in its place so that the traps don't don't fall on me. Although he didn't do a very good job of that because the traps still the traps still came after him. So maybe in 2022, I can learn to do that a little better than Indiana Jones did. Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, you know, Ronan's got some gifts out for you in Colorado, it sounds like. So Ronan, we'll see how Ronan's, that goes. Ronan's a very giving individual. If nothing else, he is an individual who gives things. There are gifts all across Illinois now as yeah, well. So that's true. Make the year count. This is my point. This is exactly my point. It's the year of the Randall. You, you try new things. You put yourself out there. You get rewarded for it. Uh, speaking of putting yourself out there and getting rewarded for it, Hall of Fame. It's that time mm-hmm. of the year again getting ready for the hall of fame ballot wanted to ask you both uh you're put on the spot here you got a chance to put some folks in the hall of fame jeremy lead us off here who do you put in the hall of fame here there's 30 names on the ballot i think the what the 10 is the limit if you're actually voting we're not actually voting so jeremy if you have the power to induct of those 30 in the hall of fame who do you take okay so First, I'm just going to start with uh, how I would have my actual ballot, I think. And then I'll, I'll also go with who I think is also deserving because there probably are more than 10 that uh, are deserving. So I think for me, there's kind of five no doubters that I think should probably be in no matter what. Uh, unfortunately, none of them are going to get in, <laughs> at least this year um, and maybe not for a long time. But obviously, number one is Barry Bonds. I think I mean, it's insane that maybe the one the top three hitters of baseball history is not in the hall of fame. Um, and you know, all that goes with him. Another one, obviously be Roger Clemens, um, you know, one of the greatest power pitchers of all time, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, not in the hall of fame, you know, another one, obviously a rod great player, not going to get in this year. Um, deserving in my opinion, although a rods one, I am a little iffy on in terms of, because just the way the whole scandal went down with him. It, it so like, for me, um, like guys that test positive a- outside of like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and A-Rod didn't test positive. So that, that's a why. And I think a lot of what the biogenesis scandal happened wasn't um, done kind of the right way. And there was a lot of issues with that. So that's why I'm having A-Rod in. But guys that like tested positive, like Manny Ramirez, I don't know where I feel about those guys because that was the rules at that point. And I don't know how I feel about that. But A-Rod, I would have in. Uh, Scott Rowland, I would have in. I think Scott Rowland is a fantastic player. I know Randall probably not like that. He'd being a Cardinal for and Cub killer, but Scott Rowland is a great player. Uh, another one I would have in, which would be another controversial one uh, for different reasons. But, you know, he was a great pitcher, great player. And, you know, there's other guys in the Hall of Fame. So I would put Kurt Schilling in. I think Kurt Schilling deserves to go into the Hall of Fame. I think he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. So I would vote for him. And I think those five, five guys. To me, those five guys all should be in the Hall of Fame pretty much no matter what. I, I, their play on the field is just, just absolutely deserving. 
And then I think uh, the next, my next five, okay, I, I think you could take arguments on, especially since there's a lot of guys that could probably fall into this category um, of just this, this kind of above average Hall of Fame, maybe not above average Hall of Fame, but at least above the, the kind of Hall of Fame line, what, what you will, I think. And I think there's a lot of guys that kind of fit in there. And I think, uh, I think, you know, and Andy Jones, Andrew Jones, I don't know why I called him Andy, but Andrew Jones is one of the great defensive players of all time. Um, just a fantastic player. Unfortunately, like his career kind of just ended at like 32 or 31. Like the rest of his career was kind of crazy because he was such a great player up until then. And he just fell off the earth, but I think he's a hall of fame player. Now there's some other center fears. I also think are hall of famers like Jim Edmonds and uh, Kenny Lofton. I could see getting in, but Andrew Jones is the one on the ballot. I think Todd Helton is kind of deserving. I think he's a great player. I think we've seen with like Larry Walker, um, you know, Colorado stats can kind of, you know, I, I just think Todd Hel- uh, Helton is a deserving player. Um, I think uh, who, who, who do I have next? I, I think, see, here's where I, I get, I, I probably would put Ortiz in just because he was a great player. Um, like I said, he, he never, the report of him testing positive that always came that came pre uh rules uh it was in 2003 the same report that Sammy Sosa came out with uh was listed on and you know it was according to sources and Rob Manfred himself said you can't believe any of that stuff um you can't take that as credit so i, I think Ortiz deserves it and he was a fantastic postseason player and i consider the postseason like i i don't th- i think it's weird we don't really look at postseason numbers when we're discussing this and I, and David Ortiz was a phenomenal postseason player and i think that should be added so i put four t's in um i think you know see that this is where i get it like then i get to like a guy like manny ramirez i don't know how i feel about manny ramirez i think manny ramirez on a field should get in but manny ramirez you know suspended uh for peds and if i'm gonna and i and that was at a time with peds that was in the rules so to me i'm a little harsher on that but i think i would eventually vote for him because I think he's just an absolutely deserving player. And I've already put all these other guys in that PD issues, but those guys never actually tested positive for it or never actually were like proven. It was all kind of hearsay. Even the A-Rod stuff like kind of went through. So I don't know. I'd, I'd put Manny in. And then I think my last pick, I think this would be my 10th. You know, I know you're going to want Sosa. So I think I'm just going to put Sosa in because I think, you know, he's kind of deserving. He's right there on the edge. And he's our guy, so I got to vote for Sammy. And so he's right there on the edge. But if other people argue that there are more deserving players than Sammy Sosa, I wouldn't I wouldn't fight it because there probably are more deserving players than Sammy Sosa. But those 10, and then I think, I think you know, Tim Hudson might be deserving. I, I would have to look more closely into him um, and some other players like that. Andy Pettit, like I said, great postseason pitcher, and I take postseason into account. So, But those are probably the 10 guys I, w- I would go with. Jeremy, you make a very interesting point on this ballot. There are a lot of guys who were not just above average, but they were very good in their career. I know people treat the Hall of Fame differently. For some, some people want a bigger hall, some people want a smaller hall, and it, it can be difficult to place these guys who were very good, but maybe they weren't necessarily incredible over the course of their career. And there's a lot of guys on this year's ballot, and you know, this year's ballot is going to be similar in a lot of ways to next year's. It's similar in a lot of ways to last year. It's a lot of guys who, if there were a hall of very, very good, they would go in on that first ballot. But, you know, people define hall of fame differently. And I don't necessarily fault people for saying this guy was really good, but he wasn't great. So my ballot is in a lot of ways similar to yours. You and I are mostly in agreement on the players who 
are being kept out for PED reasons. I put bonds on my ballot. I have Clemens. I have Manny Ramirez and I have Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez is a shit broadcaster, but he was a pretty good player in his time. Manny, I tend to think that he was a great enough player before the PED accusations that he probably deserves to be in. I have Sosa on my ballot. I have Ortiz on my ballot and I have Helton on my ballot because I think of all the guys who are kind of borderline, maybe very good, but not great. I think he did it. You know, Coors, Coors makes a big difference. I understand. I think he put up the best rate stats over the course of a very long career. Uh, so that's my ballot is Bonds, Clemens, Ortiz, Manny, Alex Rodriguez, Sosa, and Helton. So that is my ballot. You know, if somebody wants to argue that Helton is very good, but not great and doesn't deserve to be in, I'd listen to that argument just like I would on a lot of these guys. But I think you have to put in players like Bonds and Clemens. Ortiz, like you said, you have to factor in the postseason and still playing at a very high level, even the regular season, right up until he retired. So that is my ballot. I know I did not quite hit the 10, but as I said, there are a lot of guys on this ballot who are were very, very good, but they weren't necessarily Hall of Fame grade to me. And somebody wants to disagree with that, I invite that. Maybe to you, it should be a big hall. It should be the hall of very, very good and not just the Hall of Fame. And I'm more than willing to listen to those arguments, but that's what, my ballot. Well, I noticed that you did not have Scott Rowland on your ballot. I do not have Scott Rowland on my ballot. And I was curious as to why you don't have Scott Rowland on your ballot outside the fact that he's Cardinal. Because this is perfectly fictional and he's he's a Cardinal. So that's the only reason I said I said guilty as charged when you brought it up. I cop to that. I own up to that completely. He is not on my ballot. If I were actually voting on the Hall of Fame, that sanctified institution that it is, I would probably have to put him in. But for as long as that's not the case, for as long as I don't have a BBWAA card in my wallet, he's not on my ballot. Sorry, Scott. I would also point out that Manny Ramirez actually did test positive for. I know whatever. he did, and it's, so it was it's more than it was more than PD accusations. No, it, it, it was it, it was is more than accusations. Positive, and it is it is a difficult subject, and I I don't necessarily disagree with either side of that argument. For purposes of my ballot, I put him in, and if someone wants to make the impassioned argument that his positive test should keep him out, I'm more than willing to listen to that. I don't claim the superior. I don't claim superiority on any of these necessarily i would be more than willing to listen to arguments for either side all right rodan i went full i went 10 and even said there probably would be more guys i'd put in but randall going here is a little small he's going like what like six guys seven guys seven guys seven, seven guys. guys so where, where are you coming in here ronan uh, way more than 10 okay uh, but i don't think it's because i'm a fan of a big hall of fame i think that a lot of these names have been long overdue they should have been inducted years ago and because of that I'm going to end up with more than 10 um, from the steroid era. Uh, no doubt. A-Rod, Bonds, Clemens, Ramirez, Sheffield, David Ortiz. I know that Sammy Sosa, you, you can actually make a decently compelling case for why Sammy Sosa should not be in the Hall of Fame, even though he's got more than 600 home runs, but he's got more than 600 home runs. So for me, he's a Hall of Famer. So yeah, I put Sammy in there um, from that timeline as well. Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer, get another Rocky in there. I think Bobby Abreu is a Hall of Famer. Uh, next tier down, Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer in my mind. In addition, Jimmy Rollins and Omar Vizquel. I'd put all of them in the Hall of Fame. Wow. I'd put Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame. I'd put Andy Pettit in the Hall of Fame. And I would also put Scott Rowland and Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame. I think just sort of falling short would be your Mark Burley's uh, of the world Tim Hudson, I don't know. To your point, Jeremy, maybe that's someone else they need to take another look at. I think a lot of these names need to get in, and most of those, maybe two-thirds of those, are long overdue, and they're being unfairly punished 
for the era that they played in. Yeah, I think uh, as you Gary Sheffield was a guy I wanted to touch on too. I I think I loved Gary Sheffield, and I and I always sometimes think that um, I'm biased because he was like my favorite player growing up in terms of putting him in. But if you ever look at his numbers, it's insane how little strikeouts he had. He struck out like 30 times a year for how the power numbers you have, and and he obviously has PED issues. And he's a guy I agree with you. I think would be I think he's deserving kind of the hall. He just I wouldn't put him in Abreu as well. I'm a little surprised. You got Omar Vizquel in there and yeah. Jimmy Rollins. Omar Vizquel, I'm kind of, eh, especially with the DV. I'm not that, I mean, the DV, whole domestic violence issues, obviously, will hopefully I'll take it. But I, I, I just, he would, he'd probably be like 15th on my list or probably more, maybe 20th on my list right now. I, I just, he, he played a long time. So he accumulated a lot of stats, a lot of hits, um, but, and there, but there are people out there that are like, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Omar Vizquel, but there are people out there that are voting for him, like over Scott Rowland, who I think is should be a slam dunk Hall of Famer because I think Scott Rowland was a phenomenal player. And so there's this weird Omar Vizquel love where he was getting over 50% before the domestic violate, violate, uh, domestic violence accusations came. And so I'm kind of just like with my ears perked up anytime I hear Omar Vizquel to be like, come on, man, like that, that's a long, there's a lot of players there. And Jimmy Rollins, though, I've heard like nobody kind of go on Jimmy Rollins. So I'm surprised that you mentioned that. And he's a great player. The one player I, I love who was not on this ballot, who I think um, will get overlooked, but is a phenomenal player, is, is, is his partner, uh, Chase Utley. So if you're putting in Jimmy Rollins, so hopefully we're putting in Chase Utley in a couple of years. Anybody think a guy like Billy Wagner is worthy or just wasn't quite there? I- Randall, you he didn't go? he didn't do it for long enough for me a great the untouchable closer he prototypical lefty flamethrower i'll never forget watching him throw a pitch on a highlight he bears in on the batter he shatters the bat right at the handle and the ball just kind of ricochets off the shattered bat right into his glove nonchalantly it, the prototypical flamethrowing lefty he just didn't quite do it for long enough for me and it's real difficult to get into the hall for me as a relief pitcher you've got to be head and shoulders above everybody else. And I don't know that he's quite there for me. Uh, relief pitchers are weird for me. It's just so hard to, you know, measure them. And and certain guys are clearly above the standard, like Mariano. I If somebody wanted to argue Billy Wagner to me, I would not really argue it. I think he was a phenomenal pitcher. I think he was a, a great pitcher. And I can see putting him in the hall. It's just for me, it's there's other guys I value ahead of him that for I would have to take, uh, you know, to put him on my ballot. I, I think... Like I could probably see him being deserving, but there's a couple other names that I, I wanted to get your guys' take on. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's a there's a two time Cy Young winner on this on this ballot that probably is not even going to see the light of day, uh, and that's Tim Lincecum, uh, and that's an interesting name to 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 have on a ballot. And there's another Cy Young winner in uh in Jake Peavy, so those are two Cy Young Award winners that probably aren't going to come close to anywhere near maybe be five percented off the ballot and not get any votes. So I, I, it's just interesting to see guys like that on this ballot. And, uh, and Randall, there's a guy on there that I'm a little surprised you did not vote for um, on the ballot. And I, and I understand you didn't vote for Scott Rowland. Okay. But how are you letting AJ Pierzynski go? Oh, uh, Jeremy, man. I knew, I knew you were coming in with that. And how am I going to let AJ Pierzynski go? The answer is I'm going to let go of the rope. He's going to fall off the side of the building. There's a swimming pool down below. He's going to be fine. 
he's not going to be hurt, but that's how I'm going to let AJ Przinsky go by letting go of the rope. But you, AJ Przinsky, a Hall of Fame Chicagoan, you, you winning a World the, Series. You want to put him in the Hall of Fame as an irritant. You can go right ahead and do that. I do believe the Hall of Fame should be more open to honoring guys isn't the word, but pointing out the notoriety or the notability of a given player, maybe for good, maybe for bad. So if you want to put him in the Hall of Fame, a whole wing dedicated to guys who are just colossal raging assholes. You can, you can name the wing after him, the AJ Pierzynski asshole wing of the baseball hall of fame. But yeah, I I know you're not serious with this, but I knew you were coming in with that. As soon as you said, Randall, I'm surprised you left him off your ballot. Like I knew immediately. I I actually had, and now that you're mentioning it, I had a little bit of a different idea. Um, And I'm not saying, but what if we had a whole new wing? And it would be the Randall Sanders wing, and it would be all the guys that have pissed off Randall over the years. Or, or he you'd hated, have to build on an extension. And it'd be like maybe it would be Randall Sanders' collection of raging assholes. Not calling you a raging asshole, but all the guys in there are raging assholes. You, and, you'd have to build a new. You'd have to build a new couple rooms onto that wing every five or ten years. You'd have to solicit ongoing donations to expand the Randall Sanders wing of the hall of fame. And I don't know that the fa- that the museum can financially support that. So I like your idea. I'm just not sure it's feasible, Jeremy. It would be, you know, maybe you should have a collect, maybe you should on, on, on Twitter or something. You just have a, just a t- notation of different guys you have like, Oh, this is a Randall certified guy. He'd be in the Randall hall of famer on the Randall winger uh, of, of the hall of fame for being an irritant. Um, I'll make up a nice stamp and a ribbon. Anytime a guy makes it into that hall, I'll, I'll rubber stamp him. I'll put that nice ribbon on him. Admitted to the Randall Sanders wing. But I have a question for you guys. And I, and I, and this is Randall went with seven guys. He says he, if he actually were a voter, mm-hmm. he would probably put in a guy like uh, Scott Rowland. Do you agree with the 10 player cap that the hall of fame has? No. Do you think the the hall of fame voters should be allowed to vote? For whoever. Yes. Um, and with no limits on it. No limits at all. You're either a Hall of Famer or you're not. And I think they need to do away with this tradition of you're either a first ballot Hall of Famer or not. You are worthy to enter the Hall of Fame or you are not. If there are 15 guys on the ballot, you should be able to vote for all 15. The fact that you've got to delay it is bizarre, feels arbitrary to me. And in some instances, it ends up being just downright shitty. Think about Ron Sano, just denied, denied, denied. He passes away. Then he's a hall of famer. That stuff shouldn't happen. I think these hall of famers should be around to see it and be a part of it. So I say, get rid of the 10 person limit. If you're a hall of famer, you deserve to be voted in. Randall, you have a voice. I'm in full agreement with Rowan. And I think the limit is arbitrary. I think it makes what is already a flawed process, even more so other people would disagree with this. Right now, I would say this year it's less of an issue because there are fewer guys on this year's ballot who are who are slam dunks to me. But there are years where there are absolutely more than 10 guys on the ballot who deserve to be in. And some of them are left off by virtue of this completely arbitrary and a little bit asinine limitation. And Ronan, you mentioned Ron Santo. It came up again with Buck O'Neill. The second he passes away, they admit him via the Veterans Committee. And Bob Renly, who I have no share of, no small share of disagreements with on a number of topics, but he said after Santo passed away, why now all of a sudden? Did his numbers get better because he passed away, sadly? And, you know, again, I don't agree with Bob Renly on many things or even even most things, but he's he's on the money in that regard. Why is it that as soon as these these veterans, these 
people who influenced the game positively for so long and seem to be unanimously agreed upon as Hall of Fame worthy, why are they voted in the second they pass away? Like, why did why does it work that way? So I think we all have a lot of issues with the process. Jeremy, I suspect you probably are in some level of agreement with us. Well, I think the 10, I, I've never liked it. I, I think it also makes a game out of it, I feel like, because it, it adds like some game theory to it where like maybe you vote for certain guys because you don't think they're because in concert with like the 5% or whatever, it's like, well, you know, everybody's going to vote for this guy or this guy's not going to make it. So I, I want this guy to stay on. So and I only have 10 spots, so I need to make sure this guy will stay on. So I have to give him a vote and like things like that. And I, I don't think like, you know, I, I think you should just be allowed to vote for whoever you want to vote. I do think to Ron's point, and that definitely was a, a prevailing mindset for a long time about people saying, well, this guy's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, so we can't vote for him on the first ballot. I, I think that's kind of gone away a little bit. I, I feel like more. I mean, there's still like a lot of asinine reasons why people vote for things and you see some ridiculous ballots. But I think that kind of sentiment has gone away a lot because. They've it used to be like any person who like basically ever covered baseball or had to be was in was allowed to vote on the hall of fame and they've cut that down a lot whereas if you're like 10 years removed from covering baseball you don't get a hall of fame or vote anymore so they cut down it's a lot of older or out of the game people are now longer kind of doing it so that but like there's some ridiculous like rule like the five percent rule i understand it but like to be honest, like, why do you need to have like, like, I feel like people should just be allowed to vote for whoever they want to vote for. I understand, like, you have to have a printed ballot and write on it or whatever. But like everybody, like we're we live in kind of a more like a, you know, a modern society. It's not like we have to put everything pen and paper anymore. This isn't a presidential election or something It's voting for the Hall of Fame. Like, it's OK if it's done like in, in the cyber world, I feel like. So, like, I think pl- people should just be allowed to vote for whoever they want to vote for. And if they feel it's a Hall of Famer and he reaches the amount of the number, then he should be able to get in. Um, and that's my opinion. Um, when it comes to what you guys are talking about with, uh, you know, players getting off. Now they used to have the 15 years on the ballot. Now it's only 10. So a player gets off a lot quicker and then having to wait. And they've redone the Veterans Committee like 100 different times to try it because there were there were years like nobody was getting in on the Veterans Committee and it just wasn't working. They had to revamp them. And now they have all these different committees. Um, and then you get a guy, yeah, like Buck O'Neill, who gets in this year, who died 15 years ago, and, and he's able to finally get in. But he was a transformative person in terms of what he did for the game. Uh, maybe not on the playing field, but so much so. And Minnie Minoso similarly had passed away in the recent years and finally was able to get in. And, and I agree with you guys. It is a shame that these people are getting in when they didn't have the chance to actually see themselves get in. And for Buck O'Neill, it was even more so because he died. They had a whole big thing where they were putting all these old Negro League players in the play. And Buck O'Neill was a huge part of that, where they added like 25 Negro League players in like 2005 or whatever to the to the hall of fame and Buck O'Neill wasn't one of them, but he was a huge part of getting all these other guys in. And so it would have been nice for him to have seen um, being able to get in himself. And and that would have been a nice thing. And I I just think the whole process is kind of messed up in my opinion. So that's just how I feel. Um, Going back to the steroid guys, you know, I, I am optimistic that in the long haul, most of these guys are going to get in, even if it's not the conventional way, if there's going to be a committee 10, 20, 30 years from now, it's going to end up putting these guys in because I think with time, it's only going to benefit these guys that played during this era. 
and with perspective. I'm talking, you know, 30 years from now, people who maybe weren't even watching those games, they weren't alive when those games were happening. When they look back and they see the way that the commissioner sort of turned the other way to performance-enhancing drugs in the game, the role that Sammy McGuire played in bringing fans back out to the ballpark, when you put all of that stuff together, I think the sympathy is going to be back on the players. I just hope guys like Sammy and Barry and uh, Roger Clemens, whether you like these guys or hate them, I hope they're here to see it. Because I think at the end of the day, 100 years from now, all of those guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame. I just hope it happens while they're here and they get in. And the fact that it's not going to come from these writers is pretty incredible and pretty ironic. And it's unfortunate that that's how things are. I agree with you. I, I, I Hopefully it does not take 30 years. Uh, I think, you know, as we'll see this year with Bonds and Clemens being in their last year on the ballot, um, they'll probably get mid to high 60% in terms of uh, their vote share. Last year, they got 62%. They'll probably get a bump up because it's their last year of the ballot. So probably get some more guys voting for them. And I feel like, you know, people will see that they were, even in their time, they were getting 65%, 66% of voters were voting for them. Like that's obviously more than half. It's about two thirds, right? So, you know, I, I don't think it, I'm hopeful it won't be too long. I think it, when they come up, before like a veterans committee, I have a feeling they will get in kind of right away. If, if the veterans committee is set up in a way where players can actually get in and not set up in a way, like we've seen sometimes in the past where they've had to revamp it, where it's just the match just doesn't work with the way guys vote. Even now it's hard to get in because everybody has like four votes and the way it's done. Um, so last year was kind of crazy that, or this past year, so many guys got in. So hopefully like they do, I, I think, I want to I want to hope that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens will be in the Hall of Fame within the next 10 years. I, I have a hope and I have a feeling that one of these veterans committees will put them in. And so that's just and I to be honest, I don't know if anybody gets in this year. Like, do you guys have a thought on that? Do you think anybody's going to get in this year? I think David Ortiz is the only guy who has a shot and I'm not sure he will. Jeremy, that's the name jumping out at me. And as we track who we think is likely, by the way, it should be noted, you should be following or at least checking in on at not Mr. Tibbs. That's N-O-T-M-R-T-I-B-B-S on Twitter. That, of course, is Ryan Thibodeau, who undertakes, partially undertakes with the team, the monumental task of tracking all the public Hall of Fame ballots each and every winter. Uh, a wonderful public services individual does, uh, keeps helps you keep track of who is trending in what direction. And looking at this tracker that he provides, yeah, Jeremy, David Ortiz is really the only name that jumps out at me as potentially having a good shot at getting in this year. And we always look at the public ballots and a guy is on like 80%, but then the, the non-public ballots come in and that changes the math considerably. David Ortiz is really the only name jumping out at me. And I think that would be uh, an indictment, as we've been discussing for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of this process, if David Ortiz is the only guy from this ballot who finds his way into the Hall of Fame. So that's the only name jumping out at me. Ronan, are there any names jumping out at you that, that you think have a decent chance this year? No, I just don't think Clemens Bonds are going to get in, even though they certainly deserve it. So probably just that. Ballots are due here at the end of the year, December 31st. We'll find out January 25th. And then uh, next July, the Hall of Fame inductions, and we'll see who gets voted in here from the Baseball Writers Association. Yeah, I have one more question before we get off this for you guys. Uh, so, you know, just talking about the process of all, um, there was a lot, I remember a lot of, I, they might have even voted for it in the BBWA, um, where the idea of publicizing all the ballots, where every, you know, there would be no private ballots, once the, which they do for awards, you know? 
They put every ballot is publicized. How do you do you guys believe that? Or you guys think that writers should just have be able to have the ability to you know vote in private and to have the choice like they do nowadays to make it public if they want to or you know not. I, I believe that they should all be public. I think for as long as you're holding up the Hall of Fame as this hallowed institution, as the end all be all of a guy's career, you know, the, if the goal of the career is to be a Hall of Fame ball player, I think for as long as you're holding it up to that standard, I think all the ballots should be public. I think you have a lot of people out there who uh, are petty. I think they don't take this responsibility seriously. I think they see themselves as a lot more important than they actually are. And I think for, again, as long as you're holding the Hall of Fame up to this standard, I, I think all the ballots should be public. I think we should be allowed to know who voted for who or who didn't vote for who as and why. So I believe they should all be public. Yeah, I think journalists in part uh, have a responsibility of trying to keep public officials transparent. This is one way they can return the favor. Be transparent, open up the books, be able to explain yourself because there's a lot of inconsistency and arbitrary decisions that these voters are making, and they couldn't defend it if they were ever put in the spot to do it, so they choose not to. That isn't right. You should be able to stand for the votes that you make. You should be able to vote for as many players as you think are worthy, and you should be public in what those ballots represent. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I you know, even in public, even when they publicize, you see some ridiculous, as I said, ridiculous ballots, but you see some weird justifications for all of them, and it's almost infuriating. It, it's it's hard to even look. It's like Come, what are you talking about? There's so many, and it's it's kind of weird to see how so many people, different people think. So, you, you know, there's a lot of weird, different people out there with different thought processes. But the one thing that always bugs me is just the, the lack of consistency. It's like you, you give certain players certain credit, certain players detracted based on just the way you feel. And so that's always bugged me. But we'll see. We'll see who gets into the Hall of Fame if anybody does. Um, I think David Ortiz is the only one with a shot, but we'll see. And I, th- I like I said, I think the whole process needs to be revamped. Yeah, so we look forward to an episode, it'll probably be 53 or 54, uh, letting out our feelings over how this ballot does or doesn't turn out. So that's something for you guys to look forward to uh, four or five episodes from now. All right, Randall, let's go to war. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds, I got a sounds little, good. Uh, no, fighting, no fighting in the war room, Ronan. No yeah, fighting little, in the war room. Little game here I wanted to play with you guys. I was thinking earlier today, what can we do? add some flair, bring a different type of a segment into the show today. I've got three different pairs of former Cubs players. I'm going to name those players, and I want you guys to guess who had a higher war in that time as a Chicago Cub. I know you went to Fangraphs. That's kind of my go-to site when it comes to it. So I've got three different pairs of players. We got two of the all-time greats. We've got two big-time names. And then two familiar faces of the last 30 years or so. All guys that we saw play. So something that we can relate to is what I was looking for. So the heavy hitters to start things out for us. Hall of Famer, Ryan Sandberg. Potential future Hall of Famer, Sammy Sosa. Who had a higher career war as a Chicago Cub? Ooh, but that is a tough one. I- I'm going to go. I'm going to go Sandberg. Sandberg is my guess because I know uh, FR rates or weights defense pretty highly, and we know what Sandberg was defensively. I'm going to guess Sandberg, but I, I freely hold that I could very much be wrong. I'm also going to guess Sandberg. Um, you know, they played about, I go, I'll say the same amount of time as Cub, obviously. 
Uh, Sammy played for the White Sox, for the Rangers, for the Orioles, but he was never really good most of those seasons. And Sandberg played for the Phillies, and he was terrible. So uh, I think he did, or at least he came for the Phillies. Um, I think I'm going to go Sandberg. I, I just think it's going to be Sandberg. It is Rhino. 61 career war as a Cub for Rhino. 60.7 for Ooh. Sammy. So right Ooh, there, boy, that's neck close. and neck. Rhino, 300 more games than Sammy as a Chicago Cubs. So he had time on his side. Important to note on Sammy, I'm talking nice things about him, the only Cub in the top six all time in terms of war as a Cub to not appear in 2,000 games. So Sammy did the most in the least amount of time. Sammy, fifth all time in war for the Cubs. Ryan Sandberg, number four. Here's two guys. And what I wanted to get for the second question was, Two guys that spent about the same amount of time as Chicago Cubs, even though they both played for other teams. What do we think here? There's a Hall of Famer in the mix. Andre Dawson, Alfonso Soriano. Oh, wow. Whew. I am again going to err on the side of the uh, historic player versus the more modern one. I'm going to guess Dawson again because defense, because we, we all know Soriano. Uh, had some issues defensively, even though he had a great arm, a lot of assists. I'm going to guess Dawson, but I, I don't think I'm correct on this one. So I'm going to guess Dawson, uh, but not not confidently. Uh, I'm going to guess Soriano. Uh, I, I think Dawson's best years were in Montreal. Obviously, his knees kind of gave out after that. Playing on um, the carpet. Yeah, and I, I just don't think that – I think Soriano – I mean, Soriano had a couple great years to start with, and then he kind of faltered off. But I just – I think – I think Soriano's 2007 eight ish is probably better than any two seasons that Andre Dawson had as a cup, even though he won the MVP, but he, so I think I'm going to go with Soriano and I love Andre Dawson. So it's going to hurt. Yeah. If it is him, it's going to be painful. Well, it was Soriano that played 22 more games than Dawson in their time as Chicago Cubs, Alfonso Soriano by nearly one full war here, 18.1 for Alfonso 17.2 for the Hawk, Andre Dawson. Pretty, pretty, close. pretty comparable. Yeah. All right. Last one. Wanted to have fun with this one. Mike Fontenot versus Darwin Barney. Wow. The un un unstoppable force versus the immovable object. I'm going to guess Darwin Barney again, waiting his defense um, in the formula. I'm going to guess Darwin Barney over Mike Fontenot. That's an interesting one. I'm going to guess Darwin Barney solely because I feel like he played longer than Mike Fontenot for the Cubs. Well, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Fontenot had that big 08, and he, they tried to make him like a the starting second baseman in 09, I think. But I, I, I feel like Barney played like three, four years for the Cubs. Well, your reasoning is sound, Jeremy, but your answer is wrong. Barney know. played about a year more than Fontenot, 120 games more than Fontenot. Darwin Barney four career war as a cub mike fontenot 4.1 oh wow fonty beats him out big year in wow. 2008 yeah. for mike fontenot uh better than three war season for him back in 08 uh, that's something that i think gets lost in the mix of all those guys that had great offensive seasons mike fontenot had a fantastic year for that team yeah and I, that's what i was saying like you know i remember him having yeah. a monster year in 08 where they're kind of using him in, in a very smart way lou Pinella did and getting him in, in uh, positions for him to succeed. And he had a monster year. And then they tried to make him pretty much the starting second baseman based off of that in 2009. And it did not go well. But I always remember that Homer in San Francisco. That always feels like the quintessential Mike Fontenot moment. 
Little Babe Ruth, as Ron Santo called him. We know Ron had his favorite players. Fontenot is one of them, had his nickname for him. And yes, one of the many players littering the history of the franchise and the game who was great in a part-time role when he was put in the right positions to succeed. And then you, you see if you can translate that to an everyday player, and it just does not work. But Mike Fontenot, one of those uh, one of those LSU middle infielders from that from that era of Cubs baseball, Ryan Terrio, of course, the other one, but I don't think we're going to be talking about him necessarily in any uh, FR questions no. going forward. F, F something else maybe, but not necessarily <laughs> FR. On the right side of the rivalry. You yeah, know, we'll bring it, this up again. I see my point. In the future, I didn't do any pitching this time through. I focused more on those position players, but there are certain guys, you know, who had monster seasons or a couple good years. And then you have another guy who had some longevity with the team. And there's just names that you kind of put in your head and go who put up more war and, and kind of pulling those guys out can be a lot of fun and going back down memory lane. Well, it's podcast number 49, Randall. I know that uh, 49 just stirs up a lot of emotion inside of you. Where I go is Felix Heredia. Oof. 1999 to 2001. Randall, you're probably a little bit more recent with 49. Now, interesting thing about Felix Heredia before we jump into 49 is that also in 2001, he flipped those digits and wore number 94 in that season. Uh, so it's going to be a little while till we get to podcast episode number 94. So I thought I'd toss that in there right now. Interesting thing that jumped out to me about 49 is that it's got fewer guys who have worn it in the history of the franchise. You know, looking at the, the great website from Casey Ignarski here, Cubs by the Numbers, where we get all this historical information from, there's only four lines of guys who wore number 49 and you compare that to 48, five lines, you compare that to 47, six lines, fewer guys. And that's owed in part to the fact that recently you've had two guys who wore it for very extended periods. Carlos Marmol, who could forget Carlos Marmol, the roller coaster, the slider King. He of course wore it from 2006 in his debut to 2013. And then Jake Arietta, of course, as soon as he arrived from the Orioles, his 34, that he wore with the Orioles was uh, not occupied necessarily, but it was not in the rotation at the time. So he took 49. We know he did great things in that number from 2013 to 2017. He did less great things in that number in 2021. Um, and there's one other thing that jumps out of here on me. And there might be maybe one or two other people out here who are going to go, I remember this guy. And that's Jimmy Anderson. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Anderson was a left-handed pitcher. He pitched very briefly for the 2004 edition of, for the of Chicago Cubs. And 2004 was a very formative year in my fandom. That was a year that I, I spent a lot of time learning things about the game that I did not necessarily know ahead of time. And one of my resources at that time was Yahoo Sports, which had full rosters. It, it uh, was easier to load on my dial-up at the time than, it, than the official team sites were. And at the time, Yahoo Sports, some poor staffer had to write a bio for every player on a roster. It didn't matter how obscure. It didn't matter how notable. Some poor staffer had to write a bio. And what I'll always remember about Jimmy Anderson's bio is that whatever poor Yahoo staffer had to write this noted, he was a great high school golf player. He was oh, a varsity man. golf player in high school. And I'll always remember that about Jimmy Anderson, which is good because you can't really remember anything else about Jimmy Anderson other than that 2004 was the final year of a short career for him. So Jimmy Anderson is a name that jumps out to me in that number 49. But Ronan, here's a name I'll know you know, David Weathers. 
oh, yes. was a 49. We go back a little further. Jamie Moyer, the ageless wonder. He yeah. was a 49 in his time as a Cub. And Frank Castillo, which is a name I suspect mm-hmm. jumps out at you from your formative era. He was also a 49. So there's a, a, a shorter pool of names to have worn the number, but there's a lot of names with history to us. Yeah. Well, Jamie Moyer, one of Stan's guys, not just a competent pitcher in the late 80s there as a Cub, but he could hit for a pitcher as well, something that we're not going to see a lot more of moving forward in baseball. And then, yeah, Big Frank holding it down most of the 90s. There's a name here that I'm looking at in 1998. I've got zero concept of this guy, and that was a team that made the playoffs. Who the hell is Kenny Steenstra? We'll get our friends friends at Baseball Reference. He was not a coach. um, No. No, he was a pitcher. He was a a right-handed uh, what looks like relief pitcher, either that or he had a terrible. No, he was a uh, he, he was a relief pitcher. He got into four games for the 1998 Chicago Cubs in uh, three and a third innings. He allowed uh, four earned runs. That's good for a 1080 ERA. That's one zero point eight zero ERA. Uh, so he got into three games. I'm sorry, four games. And it does not look like any of them were particularly memorable. So there's a the name. Game. Yeah, that's memorable. He did. He did finish a game that's memorable. So there's a name that uh, maybe nobody would have mentioned otherwise is Kenny Steenstra. And Ronan, he's from a favorite school of yours, Wichita State. He was drafted by the Cubs in the 12th round in 1992. So Kenny Steenstra, if you're out there, we have invoked your name on the podcast tonight. And it's always good when you can get an obscure guy like that and shine a little bit of light on him, even if just for a couple minutes. Yeah, I think there's actually a lot of interesting names on this list. You know, one name we didn't mention from 2005, John Karanka, you know, getting those starts there in uh, in 2005. But some other interesting names, if you go way back in the way back machine, um, for one, you have Charlie Root wore it as a coach, but he was he's the all time winningest pitcher in Chicago Cubs history. You have uh, Hank Sawyer's little brother, Ed Sawyer wore the number in 1944 and Stan hack, a phenomenal baseball player, all the war, the number all the way back in 1933. So like, those are some names that did a lot for the Cubs. I mean, Ed so I had sorry, his brother did more for the Cubs, but uh, Stan hack and Charlie root, uh, you know, those guys did a lot for the Cubs. Uh, so those are um, some big time names. And Frank Castillo is also, as you said, like that's one, my always remembering Frank Castillo as a name. Um, as a starting pitcher for the Cubs. Well, I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to get a show in here before the Christmas holiday. Number 50, the names we can talk about. Blake Parker, Matt Lawton, Phil Norton, Julian Tavares. Remember, we talked about him all summer with the 2001 Cubs. Here's a name of a guy who maybe isn't all that liked by Cubs fans. Kent Merker, the former 2004 relief pitcher so we'll have fun with that next week with number 50 did want to mention our guy stan loyal listener of the show he wanted some extra love there for jamie moyer and rightfully so talk about a guy who had a long career just kind of kept going jeremy there's certain players that you think oh that guy's probably going to be done five six years ago i think rich hill is maybe another guy that you're like wow i thought his career was going to be over nearly a decade ago they keep going jamie moyer was one of those guys yeah, Jimmy Moyer. I mean, he pitched to the 2010s, like, and he came. If I remember correctly, he had like Tommy John surgery at like 48 years old, and decided, you know what, I'm coming back. Anyways, and they're like, okay, he came back and was pitching, but uh, just kind of a crazy. Like, he the thing about Jimmy Moyer is like he didn't really become like a successful pitcher until he was like 
12, thir- like years in the league or whatever. And, and maybe a little less than that. And in his mid thirties, and he finally became like a, a pretty good pitcher. He was an all-star level in Seattle. And I just always remember him as like this old guy old with the change up and, and, and he pitched a long time for Philadelphia too. Um, but a- another fun fact about Jimmy Moyer is that he's Digger Phelps, the former uh, coach of Notre Dame basketball's uh, son-in-law. Notable about Jamie Moyer, one of the guys to have played in four decades uh, in Major League Baseball, having played in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and then just getting in under the wire and getting a a season, depending on when you consider the uh, 2010s to have started, getting in just under the wire and getting a season or two in there. So having played in four decades, Major League Baseball or any sport, that's nothing to sneeze at. So talk about a guy who could stick around for a while. And also, of course, part of one of the, like, looking back on it, worst trades in Cubs history is him and Rafael Palmero for basically Mitch Williams wild thing. Yeah. Well, anything else baseball related before we end on a sour note, you know, uh, I, I, we're, we're certainly not expecting anything in the next week. We're not expecting anything in the next two, I think two or three weeks, honestly. But my, my hope is that sooner versus later, we have, good news to discuss and we can get back to the business of the off season. And I think that once we get back to the business of the off season, I think things are going to move very, very quickly as teams move to get players signed and get things taken care of. I hope we get there sooner versus later, because this is not, this is not a fun off season for anybody. We've been off seasons that have been slow. Teams have been reluctant to commit money. Guys have signed in, in March. This is so much worse knowing that on any given day, nothing can happen. So I'm, I'm hoping we can get back to the business of the off season sooner versus later. Randall wants those rumors. He needs those mm-hmm. rumors. Yearns for it. Yep. All right. Uh, let's end on this. Chicago bears had a Who? horrible the Chicago Bears. Oh, I don't. I don't talk about them. Oh, no, I'm joking. Yes. I'm joking. Uh, Jerry, has, <laughs> pretty Jerry has disowned his, nurse, his yeah. larger Ursine children. Minnesota in town Monday night. Uh, not so good for the Chicago Bears. The losses keep piling up here. Matt Nagy still employed. Ryan Pace still employed. Pretty embarrassing though. All around Monday night. I, I, I everything was embarrassing. To be honest, I'm not like even a guy who gets on the officials. Those were some pretty poor calls and and to be honest the vikings were embarrassing i mean the bears drove up and down on them there was they had eight drives in their in their vikings territory they only got 10 points out of it but or maybe it was nine drives i think by the end 10 points out of it they had a bunch of drives within the 20 yard line uh the vikings did absolutely nothing they were pretty much gifted two scores on penalties so like if i was a vikings fan i wouldn't be happy about that performance i thought that was terrible just a horrible game all the way around just total nonsense um i thought it was nice to see justin fields have some success at the end for the there were times he looked pretty good there were times he looked really bad um, which is unfortunately what we've been getting this year. But I, I do think there were a lot of really good moments that you could at least hang your hat on that looked pretty positive. And at the end, he threw that nice touchdown pass. Um, but yeah, this whole thing's a mess. Now with the new rule that guys can teams can interview the last two weeks for open coaching positions. Uh, I don't know why you would even keep Matt Nagy around at this point. It's it's and to be honest, Ryan Pace, though, I'm less confident about Ryan Pace going. But at this point, it's it's. Uh, you know, time, maybe time for the Bears to ever make their first ever in-season coaching firing. There's nothing to be gained by letting Nagy coach out the string. I know they don't want to break their string of not firing a coach in season. I think it's time. There, there's nothing to be gained. The, the, the way the Bears drove up and down the field and couldn't put any points on the board, the way you lose like that to Cornball Mayo ass, whatever his name is, Kirk Cousins, 
you know, I forget his name sometimes because I try to awful, awful game, difficult to watch. And the rest of the season, it's just you, you try and get some positive moments from fields and you try and picture what this is going to be like with a, a better coaching hire and a better coaching staff next year, because right now it's not fun for anybody and, and nobody nobody's enjoying themselves. I would I would like to though um, say that I think the defense, particularly the secondary, did a pretty good job yesterday, and, and for I having think nobody available, for as, having nobody yeah, available, especially they, the secondary, a secondary that's mm-hmm. been awful all year. So and maybe this is more indictment on the coaching staff because it's like, well, we basically had a role with a whole new secondary because all they're all on COVID list, and that secondary outperformed like the previous secondary that we had. So I would like to you know commend the defense that they they played pretty well, and and I think they should be spared a little bit of the, the whole nonsense that game was. Well, I mean, and to be honest, I feel bad. That was the highest rated week 15 Monday night football game in 10 years. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's, I feel that, bad that, for all those people watching that game. That bodes very ill for the national viewership, but on the bright side, the bulls knock on wood are at least out of, out of so, so deep in the protocols that they couldn't play the game. And of course, tonight's game gets canceled because they're, they're traveling opponents. The Raptors were to come in and they have, three quarters of the team in the protocols. So it seems just about every te- every league has big issues right now. The NHL is pausing for three days ahead of Christmas. We know the issues that the NFL and the NBA are having. It, team, the, the leagues are not weathering this well, and you hope that everybody who is in the protocols uh, gets out of it without too much health issue, and you hope the leagues can safely and uh, carefully get back to playing an uninterrupted schedule soon. Well, all the more reason for Major League Baseball to get this figured out because this isn't, or at least it shouldn't impact baseball, outdoor stadiums, spring training, all that stuff going on here in just a couple of months. The league really can't afford any more missed time. So maybe the owners and the players can get this thing figured out. Let's get spring training. Let's get past the worst of this wave, which is hitting the country pretty hard right now and have some good things to look forward to in the year of the Randall 2022. Very, very excited. I, I, I can't wait. I'm counting down the days every day that we get to the 22nd minute of the 22nd hour. I'm going to be texting you, Randall. It's going to be such a big year for us. How's that different from any other year? Oh, it's going to be. It's it's different because this is your year, and it gives me hope. Cubs got Stroman. Correa may be coming. Going to have a nice, long collective bargaining agreement. Things are going to be okay in 2022. Uh, if we just believe Randall. Mm -hmm. So we'll see where this goes. We'll be back next week though. We'll get a show in before the holiday. We'll do one more before new year's and we'll take it from there. But for Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. We are on Twitter at BTYL podcast. We'll see you next week.